0: know the problem that you're trying to solve and fall in love with it don't flirt around it don't don't think about the money don't think about any of that stuff think about what you're trying to solve be really 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 good about that go very narrow like you know think about everything with it go broad but really narrow in on one thing that you can be really good at and solve and the moment you lose your focus on that you start to run into problems
1: Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. And I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several businesses to seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help start out some small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And uh, today on the show, we have a couple of great guests. And I think this is the second episode that we've done where we actually have a couple people on. So you guys aren't the first, but you're close to it. But we have uh, Andrew Kennedy and uh, Patrick McWilliams. And uh, they are the founders of Work Entropy. Um, a little bit about at least Andrew. Um, so he was kind of an entrepreneur, had entrepreneur parents. Um, that, or that His parents did their own janitorial service, grew up in the Midwest, and then uh, they moved their family around, around a lot. Came to California where he grew up and then started everywhere from call center positions over to um, workforce management and now data analytics and now where you're at today. So, with that as much of an introduction, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having us on here. Really excited. So
1: I'll, I'll let you guys direct a little bit of your journey. But, you know, as we as the typical show goes, we have the Inventive Journey, which is kind of the journey that led up to where, you know, you guys are at today with Work Entropy. So maybe uh, if you guys want to fill us in a little bit more on kind of the journey that either one and or both of you are taking to get to, to where you guys are at today.
0: Yeah. Um, Patrick, since he knows a little bit more about me and we talked, <laughs> I think maybe you could start with yours and we can fill in some of the blanks.
2: Fair, fair. <laughs> Um, Yes, I I guess the whole, um, you know, entrepreneurship, um, you know, bringing the family, I guess holds true for me as well, too. My dad owned, uh, you know, a couple of businesses in music. um, So I I have a a profound love for music and karaoke, actually. Um, You know, he's also a carpenter, too. So I I learned a lot of things from him early on in life as far as, you know, just working with my hands and my, my first career was actually doing custom body work and collision repair so I started off on a completely different path in life and now I'm a software engineer so it's it, it was a it was a, a long path here as well um but yeah I mean oh, I like sorry, I said you went
1: from carpenter yeah. to then
2: what was it after carpenter body mechanic body work no so yeah so uh, custom body work and, and collision repair uh was actually my first career Uh, I actually decided to get into the family business of carpentry um, but that only lasted less than I think six months and I ruptured a couple discs in my back and so it kind of forced me down this this other path in life so it was it was a good fortunate accident I guess in a sense.
1: All right so far to take you have you or you know Patrick and your family was kind of more in the carpentry, and it sounds like if I remember right and correct me from Andrew, you were kind of the janitorial or your family's in the janitorial business.
0: Yeah, there's there's some more details of that story that makes it quite interesting. So I'll elaborate on a little little bit, not too much. Cut me off if I get too long winded. But right. um, my parents originally met in New Jersey at a church because my mother was the daughter of a pastor, and at the time my father and grandfather were running a janitorial business um, in, in New Jersey. So they'd regularly clean, uh, clean the, the church and they actually met there one, one night and uh, fell in love with the family, happy ending story, so on and so forth. Fast forward, um, I came into the picture in the late eighties in Nebraska and we traveled um, in Iowa, Illinois, till about 13, where I moved to New York And my father finally got into the corporate world in the late 80s and that's why we were moving because he kept getting promoted. He was a terminal manager for a freight company called Consolidated Freightways. So he managed terminals and all the operations and the logistics and the sales and really everything. So um, it's really funny because he actually left that job um, and got back into teaching, which what he did earlier in his career uh, with academia. And when we moved to New York, he ended up teaching at our private high school we went to and then substituting at the high school that my brother went to across the street. And then after we graduated, they got back into uh, picking up Uh, Ajax was the name of the company uh, janitorial service so my mother and father actually for about five to ten years I can't remember the exact range but they actually got back into the cleaning business so they ended up moving to Florida because my brother relocated there he was uh, in culinary so he went to a culinary school there and and loved Florida so they ended up with him and I didn't want to go with the humidity so I headed out west to San Diego (laughs) and at the time I was very fortunate because I was working in uh, a call center at uh, Time Warner Cable at the time, and they had the same uh, analyst position in San Diego. So I transplanted across the country, and that's how I ended up on the West Coast. Right. And uh, it really taught me a lot in terms of uh, almost like a gypsy life. in terms of, <laughs> Like we've always done different, different pre- professions and different um, hobbies and different locations that we've lived. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, my first job was in the service industry as a busboy at the Cambridge Hotel, which is in upstate New York, very famous... <laughs> For a uh, home of Piala Mode, and um, it's just an interesting way that I journeyed through life to end up as eventually a product manager and in into it because of my call center and operational experiences to build workforce management tools, interaction analytics like speech analytics and stuff. Um, so it's really cool to see all of that com- culminate. So with all of that, so both of you guys have.
1: I would say you said gypsy type journeys, but you went, you know, kind of wove in and wove in and out and whatnot between a few different careers, you know, or a few different paths with your family and working with family business. I find it interesting that at least at some point, both of you guys uh, came from family businesses or worked in family businesses for a period of time before striking it out on your own. So how did you guys kind of, connect up together or how did you come up with the idea of entropy or what what was a path that connected you guys together that led you to where
0: you're at today I've got to give credit to Patrick on that one I'll I'll let him tell that story
2: (laughs) yeah it's interesting how Andrew's path led him to San Diego um, and and my path actually led me out of San Diego I I was born and raised in San Diego Um, I recently uh, moved to Sacramento a few years ago for family reasons Um, I'm a father Um, and when I when I was in San Diego uh, how long ago was that now maybe 10 years ago close to um, Andrew started working at Time Warner Cable um, in the call center Um, that was kind of a transition um, period for me I used to be in IT um, prior to that job Um, Mm -hmm. then uh, 10 12 years ago the IT industry collapsed I could not find work at all, so I started working at uh, Time Warner Cable as um, technical support, Um, Mm -hmm. and Andrew was working there in the ops, and, you know, while I was there, I essentially reinvented my career in software by writing some um, in-house application. Um, It it was really to protect myself. Um, They had no way of the agents to be able to tell how long they were on calls, uh, how many transfers they had. And these were all things that you were measured on and you lose your job over. Uh, I realized the information was on the computer and I wrote a quick application so that way I can see those those stats live so that way I knew what I was doing and I could actually not get fired. Um, Andrew, oh, yeah. working in and ops, dealt you with have those to, reports. You have to figure out what will oh, not get you fired? Yeah, That's yeah, something. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's... it's it, <laughs> And Andrew worked on the side of making those, those monthly reports. Um, so he, he saw directly how it impacted everybody um, because it became this weird little bootleg application that started getting passed around the call center because mm. people saw it on my computer and they're like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, well, I don't want you getting fired. So I gave them the USB with it and we weren't allowed to have that obviously. So just everybody started using it and then all of a sudden management was like, where did this come from? Uh, so you know, I, I owned up to it. And they actually made it an official part of their um, software. Um, they actually ended up you know deploying it to other regions as well too. It hmm. uh, ended up increasing productivity like twenty percent or something. but for me, it was like i 'm oh, not getting well. fired so that that helps out
0: <laughs> yeah i I have to tell my side of the story because it was awesome right so I had recently so this is in two thousand and twelve I moved from upstate New York at the Albany call center and we had just finished going through massive regionalization. So we started taking Syracuse calls, we are already taking upstate New York, we started taking uh, New York City calls, even some of the Carolinas, they were centralizing all the customer support. Sales started to go to the south, You started to see some of that uh, segregation in terms of the, the skill in the, in the call center. So I had just gone through all the headaches of reporting and the training, different billing systems, you know, starting as an agent, going going through and using it really helped me in a leadership role to guide and trade agents. So when I came out to the West Coast, we um, I was basically in that um, analyst role, and they were starting the same thing. They're, San Diego was starting to take LA calls. They had a new signature home white glove service, and they were even taking calls from Nebraska, uh, all over the place. So really, what it came down to is these call centers were like, hey, if we're the most efficient at taking the calls, we get the volume. So there was this huge push for management on performance and handle time and transfer rates and truck rolls, all these costs, you know, reducing the cost of a cost center. So for me, it was really exciting. It was like, oh, wow, we're actually able to hit our handle times better. Like we're able to leverage our staff now because now the agents have this direct control of their performance and they're earning more money on their their performance bonuses. And as an analyst, it made my capacity planning a lot better. So once we started seeing this, I was like, I need to meet this Patrick guy. And every time it went down, I swear it it was like (laughs) thirty second, 60 second uptick in handle time. Transfer rates would start skyrocketing because the agents had their blinders. They didn't know. They're like, because when you're taking back to back calls all day, you know, you, you don't really keep track of how many calls you've transferred, right? You're like, oh, you know, maybe it was a couple of an hour. But when you have that in front of you, when you have the information, it's very clear to you, like, oh, man, I, my ten for, I'm at 10% transfer rate already. I, I better not transfer calls. So maybe I'll really dig in. Maybe my handle time will go up, but I won't transfer for, for phone calls. So it was just really cool dynamic to see how he applied that. And um, the morale actually was boosted from the agents. Management liked it. And it was really like a win-win-win situation. <laughs> it's like this pirated program that he was running a script on um and I think he later on he told me once he left it, it ended up breaking and they were trying to get him to come back and fix it but they they didn't want him to pay him to do it so I was like all right well you can't have everything for free so it's just a really good story and it, it kind of embodies um I I think just just us and, and in terms of our relationship and and how that's really how it started so um you know how scary. many
2: people like messaged me after I left because they, they upgraded their phone systems and so that that caused my application not to work it was a completely different phone system afterwards Uh, but how many people text me and was like begging me to like come back help me please we can't work without it (laughs) It (laughs) but it was just a simple little tool that you know and that's that's always how it is Um, Mm. prior to working at Time Warner Cable when I got into IT uh, my transition out of working on cars was a similar thing I worked for a company um, named Solera, which is actually a very huge company. Then I was like the fourteenth employee at the time, though. Um, yeah. But you know, there same thing. Uh, one of the other supervisors was saying saying I wasn't doing my work when I was actually doing it really fast. Um, and I kind of just stumbled upon learning how to do web scraping through an Excel spreadsheet with VBA to dump all the comments from everybody like in our little center to bring a report to my boss to say no I'm doing my work I'm actually doing double the work of everybody else Mm -hmm. um but even even that that's what catapulted me into my IT position so it was it's always these you know things of me trying to defend myself and using the tools that I have available to me Mm -hmm. that brings these these things about for me And, and that's that's how work entropy came about same thing basically. So that's,
1: Um, that would be a good statement. So, I mean, if I were to summarize, you guys are both working different positions or a little bit different. You were in uh, Andrew, you're a bit more management, Patrick, or you were more on the floor and you know, you, you guys kind of connected up via the tool you made or the tool you created. It was getting enough of traction and people using it that you connected up. So with that, then, so how did you guys, then these, after that, what made you guys leave Comcast? Was it Comcast? Is that that my right? Time Warner Cable. Time Warner Cable. Sorry, I, I got. It. They're close
2: enough. There's so many. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's all the same. <laughs> now, and then, And then they all buy each
1: other. Yeah. They really all are incestuous anyway. But yeah, pretty much. Time, order, time <laughs> order Cable. You're at there. What made you guys? It sounds like if I remember right, then then you you jumped over to Work
2: Entropy, which is where you guys are at now. Is that right? Or is there anything in between there? the pretty big gap in between actually we yeah. we really formed a friendship first before the work entropy part came about um so we became friends at time warner cable because of that and then stayed in touch
0: so you
1: guys uh, and- both ended up leaving time warner cable for a period yes. of time where did you guys each go and then how did you guys connect back up for work entropy
0: so for me, um, this one's I can fast forward to pretty simply. So, again, starting as an agent in New York at, at the call center, coming out in the analyst role, I had gathered a lot of experience with call center um, technology. So, what was really cool is now there's this big need for customer success, customer experience. Um, and service centers. So I ended up in, in the technology uh, segment. So I ended up going to Mitchell International. Actually, I got poached through LinkedIn. <laughs> so this is the first time I got my uh, a job through LinkedIn. And I was needed there basically to come into their service center, help them organize all of their workflow processes, reporting the SLAs. What Mitchell International is in short is... Um, They started out in the 50s with the, um, goes back to auto, like all the auto parts to body shops to give estimates for for parts. And I was on the medical service side because in recent years, they added on basically estimating software for insurance. So medical claims, so like Allstate, Liberty Mutual, like those big companies, they would use our software to process uh, medical claims. So I came into the service center and basically everything was manual when I came in. And by the time I left after three years, We had automated all the data ingestion from our vendors that did the processing. We had Tableau dashboards. We had automated um, and saved hundreds of thousands of dollars in in SLA violations just simply because we got visibility to the data to understand where the bottlenecks in the workflows. How do we measure turnaround time? How do we adjust staffing and work with our vendors and give them that information so that they can be proactive instead of reactive? So for me, that was a huge learning experience that really set me up to be successful and ultimately get a job. Um, at Intuit, which um, I don't typically tell this p- to people, but a year before I started working there, I actually interviewed for a capacity planning position, something that I had years of experience in, and it failed. I completely bombed the interview. I had a demo, to ha- to <laughs> had an Excel demo that I went into the interview. It was all fancy, I had my VBA scripts, all this stuff for my you know, years of experience. I'm like, I'm going to make this super cool. I go in there, I change one number, everything goes negative and the thing just crashes, right? <laughs> so needless to say, I didn't get the job. Um, But a year later, hit up again on LinkedIn, and it was for a temporary contractor position for a business systems analyst. And I was basically coming in to help with the customer center technology. And that was with workforce management, the call tools, pretty pretty much everything telephony um, that all of the business units used it into it. So that was QuickBooks, TurboTax, Mint all these different segments. Um, and, and fast forwarding, um, this is where me and Patrick came in contact again. Around that same time when I was um, a contractor at Intuit, Patrick started over in the TurboTax segment as uh, in data engineering. So, so our paths crossed again out of complete randomness. I think he just messaged me one day. He's like, hey, man, I'm working at Intuit. What are you doing? I'm like, uh, you want to campus? No, here? you forget. You got me the job. You forgot that part. I did? <laughs> yeah. <What>? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not going to take credit for it even if I did, but okay. <laughs> that sounds better if I embellish it, right? You know. <laughs> so so anyway, we cross paths each again. Other, cross paths again, message each other on LinkedIn.
1: And then how did that then evol- evolve into uh, work entropy? Uh,
0: to, how did you guys, uh, so you guys started to message, yeah.
1: started to connect up. And then how did that say... Hey, we got an idea for a new startup or a new business or hey, I've always I've been working on this project on the side or hey, what or let's get together to figure out a new company. how did you guys get together or, or make that connection or decide okay, we're going to reconnect and, and or get going on the, this startup. That's I'll, I'll pick
2: mean. that part up. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so one, one of the interesting parts is of, of how like paths cross and 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 you know everything along the way just to point out um Andrew was talking about his time at Mitchell, which interestingly, all the executives from the company, uh, Solera that I was talking about earlier, left from Mitchell to create Solera and is now one of Mitchell's primary competitors. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's, it's interesting how, you know, especially in San Diego, even as big as San Diego is, you know, this thing is kind of, you know, added and flow as far as this industry even. Um, but yeah, so after I started working at um, uh, Intuit, yeah yeah yeah. um me and andrew you know we started hanging out a little bit more um talking more started working a little more closely there as well too um and and one time i was hanging out at his house um i won't go into the details of of that story as a story for another time but uh we started talking about you know how do we solve something like homelessness um that's actually something that i have dealt with um, a few times in my life personally um that time period between um being in it and getting the job at um Time Warner Cable, I was actually homeless. Um, like there was a point in time where I was actually on the streets, like living in a bush. Um, right. So that job at Time Warner Cable got my life started back up again, basically. So that that's a very um, crucial time in life for me personally. Yeah. Uh, so me and Andrew had this conversation about, you know, that that's something that shouldn't exist. That's something that, you know, it really wouldn't require much effort to do, but how do you do that? Um, and the, the takeaway we have from that conversation uh, really was you know that people are a resource or can be a resource um, but that the world doesn't view them or allow them to be in certain ways mm. um, and and so then we left that conversation and we're like okay but how do we, how do we make people a resource and we just we, we couldn't figure that part out right like how do you make somebody valuable but not valuable to the point of where they're exploited right mm. um and so years went by, and we kept that conversation going. And we're like, you know, how, how do we, how do we you know solve this? And and we keep adding pieces to it through you know our own life experiences. Um, and when I moved to Sacramento um, three years ago, um, it, it, it without getting too far into that story, it wasn't by choice. I, I am a co-parent, and my ex-wife and her husband had to move here, so I had to move here as well too. Mm -hmm. um and the company that I worked for at the time um laid me off a week after I moved here so that put me in a very bad position Mm -hmm. um so what I had done prior to moving I was familiar with the gig economy I was familiar with like Uber, Lyft, uh, Instacart, um DoorDash you know all all these companies and so I think maybe a year before um, I moved here and I, I was familiar with them I was like you know what let me let me do something about my situation in case I ever get into a situation like I was in years ago when I was actually homeless. Um, Let me make sure that I sign up for these platforms, learn about them, see what they are. Um, So if I ever get into that situation again, I have a backup plan, you know, instead of trying to job hunt, I can use that as a backup plan to, to stay afloat. Um, And, and, you know, I knew it wasn't going to make it as easy as having a full-time job but I knew that it would be better than nothing. And I wanted to learn about it. Um, So the opportunity happened when I moved here and got laid off. Um, And so I I started to, you know, I I got back onto those apps that I had tried out and I started doing deliveries with um, Instacart and Postmates, Uh, Grubhub, I think was another one of them. Mm. Um, And I just started really learning about them there. And I started really understanding, you know, how they work and some of the inefficiencies there. And it's not necessarily the platforms uh problem it's just a whole ecosystem problem that we started to identify right it's it's part of that is like a lot of people who do these um do do this work um as gig workers independent contractors they're used to being employees they don't know how to be independent contractors so because of that there's a lot of slack the platforms have to pick up Hmm. and so i started understanding some of the inefficiencies there so i created a quick proof of concept app for myself just like i did in the three other times or the two other times in my past where it, you know, was a career changer for me in IT, um, when I started my software path, in this case here, I created a quick POC that allowed me to get more information on the jobs that were available um, and be able to to select more efficient jobs for me. So that way it was more profitable without me just taking any random job and not understanding the cost of it. Because um, a lot of the problems are just not understanding your costs, your out-of-pocket costs. And so that takes away all of your, your, your net, you know? Um, So I created a a quick, you know, proof of concept on that. It was actually helping me out. Um, You know, I had kept Andrew in the loop this whole time and I was like, Hey, you know what, this is something that, you know, if we can identify these pain points in the gig economy, um, that we can really do something positive for all the independent contractors. So that way it's not a, a, a thing that people can bridge or to keep them afloat but actually be full-time work something that can be profitable for mm-hmm. both sides for the gig workers for the platforms they're struggling with profitability as well too but a lot of that is just kind of waste and excess because of them having to pick up the slack from the independent contractor side mm-hmm. uh, so we're like how do we create a platform that can um do this and that that's really where work entropy came from um uh, and andrew can probably give some of his insight from his side of things. You know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the engineer and yeah. he's the business side. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. know And just kind of real quickly, cause that's, that's the bulk of the story right there. And mm-hmm. um, continuing from where I was, how I really got involved with the gig economy was in my time and into it. Um, I quickly transitioned into a product manager role, but I didn't quickly transition into a full-time role. I was actually a contractor for almost 18 months um, and almost, my contract over, almost expired. So every day that I was there, I was like, you know, this is a learning opportunity. I'm blessed to have this opportunity. You know, what can I learn? How can I impact the company? And this company is doing great things. I love the people I worked with. But there's always this gap between the employee and the contractor. Didn't get the full be- benefits. Couldn't go to the on-site meetings. You know, there's these these vague lines that, you know, people tried to make it as welcoming as possible at the end of the day. Still weren- wasn't an employee. I, I eventually, um, you know, crossed the line and became a full-time. and It was awesome. But the important piece of that journey was that I was closely involved with the TurboTax live program. And this was really revolutionary for them because this is like bringing live CPA tax advice to the consumer as a consumer service. And this really shifted a lot of their business models towards, you know, to the normal SaaS to, really services that they started to provide, and at the time, some of the huge problems that they were presented with was the way to schedule these workers. You know, we had to treat them like employees. We didn't have any other mechanisms, so we were hiring them, but we needed to give them the freedom to have a flexible schedule, because they were CPAs. They had their own practices, or they had their own jobs, or they were going to school, and they had these really weird hours, and workforce management platforms just had no concept of handling that, Um, The closest was European companies and European platforms that have a lot of unions and different um, regulations and they have a lot of strikes and all these crazy business rules. But it still wasn't quite fitting. So while I was there as a product manager, we built flexible scheduling services to actually help with the hiring process and managing the real-time schedules to help us get our capacity filled without overhiring and having excess. Because I think the first year it was, you know, we overshot and over-scheduled, and it cost millions of dollars on extra operational costs. So going to, to Patrick's point, I can only imagine the complexity that you know I got to see firsthand when I went to a two-sided uh, marketplace at Lawn Love, actually another story for another time but i got to see that at the startup level of, of getting the 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 contractors and getting the consumers and paying the cost of acquisition on both sides it's very expensive and in the meanwhile you have the same services that people can provide every day but now you have technology to make that easier but really we're making it more complicated so with work entropy that's really our goal is to simplify things and just get us back to the basics and how do we connect people with a service and help really anyone be their own business and thrive in any economy whether it's a recession or, or, or downturn or if it's thriving. so So far to do it and there are a lot of
1: rabbit holes that we can go down you know yeah. it, it, unfortunately we don't have time for all the rabbit holes. But maybe what I'll do is, so I think that that it's an interesting journey. And I I think it's interesting kind of be able to hear kind of how the two co-founders are both coming together, how you guys took different paths, how you met each other, how you diverged, how you came back and how you guys are working on that. And so I think that, that, you know, and then what you guys are doing to solve the problem if I avoid all the rabbit holes, what we'll maybe do is jump to, I always ask a couple of questions at the end of the podcast and we're kind of reaching towards the end. So maybe what I'll do is I'll split it or split one question for each of you and you can each answer one of them. So maybe on, I'll let you guys decide which question you want to answer. But the <laughs> first question I always ask is, so what was the worst business decision you ever made? <laughs>
0: the worst business decision. Um, hmm, is that you or me, Patrick?
2: I don't know. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to say worse, but there, I guess I can go into, um, you know, I've been a part of a couple of startups and walking away from them, just washing my hands from both of them, um, may have not been the best decision on both of them. Solera being one of them,
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: especially with them being a multi-billion dollar company now. Um, but at the same time, the what I learned to get me to where I'm at now um, came from that. So I think those were also probably very wise decisions in some respects, but definitely kicking myself in the butt um, on some of them. So
1: all right. So Patrick took the first question. So now I get asked Andrew the second question. He's going to get get, a, get out of it. So <laughs> now if you're to take uh, talking to somebody that's just getting into startups, just getting into small businesses, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them?
0: Know the problem that you're trying to solve, and fall in love with it. Don't flirt around it. Don't don't think about the money. Don't think about any of that stuff. Think about what you're trying to solve. Be really, really, really good about that. Go very narrow. Like you know, think about everything with it, go broad, but really narrow in on one thing that you can be really good at and solve. And the moment you lose your focus on that, you start to run into problems. And in my career, that's where I've seen it. And that's where um, I've learned the most. And that's where my failures have come, which means that's where my lessons have come from. Um, so that's something that we're that we're very focused on here at Work Entropy. We want to solve one problem, um, and that's to help enable a, a more prosperous gig economy for everybody. All right. Yeah. lots of lessons learned
1: interesting journey never have enough time always things i want to talk about but through more but i think it was uh, fun to hear how you guys got to work out well if people want to if they're, if they're in the gig economy they want to whether it's user software invest in you guys become an employee just get connect up with you guys or anything
2: across the board
1: what's the best way to connect with you guys That's
2: sure. it. yeah i mean um we can go to our website workentry dot um plenty of information there. Um, you know, we like to reach out personally as well too. So our, we also have our LinkedIn as well um, for both of us. Um, we, we networking is what got us here. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we love to do more than anything else.
1: All right. So either go to your website or reach out to you guys on LinkedIn and that's the best way to connect. So, well, perfect. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on. It was fun to hear your journey. always wish we had more time, but never enough time or in the day. Um, but um, thank you for sharing. And for those of you that are listeners, you have an interesting journey to tell and uh, would like to come on and be a guest on the podcast and tell it, feel free to go to inventivejourneyguest.com and uh, sign up or apply to be a guest on the show. And uh, for those of you that are listeners, make sure to click subscribe so you get the notifications of new, as new episodes come out. And lastly, if you ever need any help with uh, patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Well, Patrick and Andrew, thank you again for coming on. It was fun to have you and hear your journey and uh, wish you the next leg of your journey the best.
2: Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.